I'm uh, station manager Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Jane, you ignorant slut. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. 3-605.10.20.22.24.26.50.70.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.
I thought about that when I was watching the movie again. I thought about what if this was 15 years earlier mm -hmm. and it was Aykroyd and Belushi. It would have been, it would have been different. It would have been different because Farley wanted to be Belushi in many ways, but in many ways he wasn't Belushi. Uh, I, I don't think Belushi could have pulled off this character. This is a... Uh, this is a more lovable childlike character and there's innocence there's innocence and Belushi never never had that in any of his characters he he always had uh, he always had some sort I don't know adult uh, adult about him even when he was playing Bluto or or, J or Jake Blues you could you could tell that he's been around and, right um, not that Farley because at the beginning of the movie you see Farley uh, smoking dope and drinking so but I guess that's more I guess that's more college innocence uh, getting into trouble rather than right. felonies and stuff like that. I love, I, I do love the little nod to Marquette University. Chris Farley went to Marquette, so I thought that was... Uh, well, this movie was shot in Toronto. Yes. Well, and it made me laugh when I was watching this movie. It reminded me of how many movies are placed in Chicago or Milwaukee or, in this case, Sandusky, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cedar where, Point. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna <laughs> ask you if you remembered what was in Sandusky. Cedar Point. Cedar Point. Because we're both from Detroit. Yeah. And that's a big thing to go to Cedar Point. It was a big thing. And now, but here's the deal. It's it's a being from Michigan. I don't know. It's a road movie. But they go. They they end the road trip ends in Detroit. It just seems they went the long way around. <laughs> they, they went. They went up. Through Milwaukee, Milwaukee Minnesota, yeah, come back like, down. down. It was like, yeah, yeah they, they. It wasn't a very Flint. They stopped. They, in they Flint. stopped in Flint. Yeah, so yeah, it wasn't a very good route that they took to to sell the brake pad. Oh, so anyway, the gist of the story is Tommy uh, Chris Farley's dad, played by Brian Dennehy, he's a big. He owns Callahan uh, Auto Parts. And basically, Callahan Auto Parts is the only thing keeping this t this uh, town alive. All the other businesses have, businesses have closed. Chris Farley comes home from college, finds out that his dad is getting married to Bo Derek. They have the wedding, and during the wedding reception, his dad has a heart attack and dies. Dan Aykroyd play uh, what was his uh, Zelensky? Zelensky. Dan Aykroyd playing a rival auto parts man, Zelensky wants to buy Callahan. David Spade and Chris Farley go on the road to sell these new brake pads to save to save the, the company. Right, because Tommy or his dad, Tommy Boy, Tommy is the only child, with the exception of Bo Derek's son. son. I'm making Boy. air quotes yeah. that you can't see on the podcast. Um, so really, it's just Bo Derek and Chris Farley's character Tommy that are supposed to inherit any shares. But there's this big bank note, this big bank. Right. Chris Farley gives his shares to the bank. Chris Farley has no shares in the company. Right. It's all. He's it's like all he's going to prove his dad's theory that these new brake right. pads are going to sell. They're going to work. And uh, what did you, uh, did you like Brian Dennehy as the dad? Who? Yeah. I mean, you gotta yeah. love Brian Dennehy, right? First of all, good casting. That makes yes. total sense. Um, he, you know, it, it's in some ways when when Tommy comes home from college, it's like uh, the prodigal son in sort of a weird way, but he's also the only son. Um, but yeah, and I also like kind of the fact that Brian Dennehy's this salt of the earth kind of guy where Dan Aykroyd's character, Zelensky's the flashier TV mm -hmm. commercial guy. You know, you don't see Callahan TV commercials no. in this movie. What I liked was, usually in a movie like this, where Chris Farley's basically playing a, 
a screw up. You know, he graduated college with a D plus, and that's a that was a big deal for him. Usually in movies like this, the father down on his son. Not in this movie. <laughs> Not in this movie. Not in this movie. Uh, uh, Brian Dennehy loves loves his son for for all of his silliness, and I thought that was a refreshing twist in this movie. There wasn't any. He had to prove himself to his dad. His dad accepted him for who he was and what he did. I feel like this movie, probably more than anything, capsulizes probably the closest character to Chris Farley also. You know, as opposed to like Beverly Hills Ninja or, yeah. <laughs> you know, something else, you know, Coneheads or something. This is probably the closest glimpse that we get to Chris Farley, much like... Uh, the sketch where he would do the Chris Farley show where he'd interview a celebrity. Oh, yeah. And he'd be all awkward and interview Paul McCartney and say... Stupid, stupid. Yeah, exactly. Remember when you were in the Beatles? Oh, that's tough. You know, and so I feel like we get a little glimpse because we'll never, unfortunately, know. We'll never, we have, you know, just a small capsule of stuff. Yes. Well, a lot of, you know, as we said before, uh, Farley wanted to be Belushi, but I would compare Farley much closer to John Candy. Yes. Than John Belushi. Yes. Now that I could see, because that makes me think about planes, trains, and automobiles. Right. Uh, I, I like me. It's like, <laughs> uh, because once again, in in uh, in Belushi's mo- in Belushi movies, you don't get a lot of tender moments. Unless which you're you, watching Continental Divide. Continental Divide. <laughs> yes. And there's not, and that's a romance. Uh, which, by the way, I like that movie. So I like that movie as well. You can flame me on Twitter, later, but I <laughs> no, no, like I like Continental Divide. Divide. But there was more... The, the John Candy. The bit. John Candy with, you know, the heart. Also, Farley does a lot of fat jokes about himself in this movie. And even though Belushi was a bigger guy, you, he never did fat jokes about himself. He never mentioned his weight in any of his in any of his roles. I'm consistently amazed at how, like, agile Chris Farley is. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he does things that people have his size can't do. It's amazing. Now, we've talked about Chris Farley a little bit. What about David Spade? David Spade. So, you know, it's it's the perfect foil. It's the it's the Tony Randall. It's the persnickety mm-hmm. sort of sourpuss. You know, you got to have that balance, right? What was that, that one scene where he's selling brake pads and he goes, you're just a tiny, miserable, un- humorless man and I don't like you. That was basically... Right, <laughs> right. And you're right. They were really friends, so it wasn't a big stretch for Lorne Michaels to you know, think this would be a good vehicle for the two of them. I did understand from just reading a little bit that they would have go on that, you know, just like any friends, except maybe us. I don't think mm. we've ever had an argument actually now that yeah. I think about it. Um, but we weren't under a pressure like this because they right. were doing the thing where they were shooting on the weekends, flying, flying back. back to New York because they were still doing the show at this time. Yes. And they said that there were times when they were on the outs with each other, but you know, things, you know, of course they would always come back to, to mm-hmm. being in a good spot. Now, the, the, once again, comparing uh, Spade and Farley to Ackroyd and Belushi, I think Spade sort of gets gobbled up by Farley. I think he overshadows Spade, whereas I believe with Belushi and Ackroyd, it, it was more even between the two in the Blues Brothers and in Neighbors. Basic, well, those are, yeah, in, in Neighbors. Um, it, it's, they're basically one-on-one where Farley just... I just yeah, like I said, this casts a, a big shadow over Spade. 
Yeah, this uh, would that would be odd cast. This movie would have like a darker turn or something if it was the two of them. But if it was John Candy and Rick Moranis, or mm-hmm. you know John Candy and Eugene Levy or something, that I you know mm-hmm. then I could see that being a little more similar to right. what we've got. But it is. It's your classic Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. buddy road movie. I mean, there's a formula to those, but it mm-hmm. works. People like that, <laughs> you know. Now, what? Uh, another thing which uh, shocked me about this movie is that they were writing the scenes. the The script was finished. However, they kept rewriting the scenes for a movie where scenes were getting written on a daily basis. It's a very co- cohesive, very funny movie. Because usually when you hear scenes are being rewritten on the spot, that's a sign of trouble. Uh, but I, I didn't see it in this movie. No, and it clips along. It does. There's not. It, you know, when the movie's over, you're kind of like, oh, that's it. It's done. You know, yeah. it's it doesn't it doesn't lag. Probably the only scene that I thought was just kind of dumb, like why was it in there, was the scene we mentioned earlier where David Spade gets caught, you know, peeking through the hotel windows at a girl and I don't know if they felt like they needed some juvenile I think maybe that was yeah in there. No, that could have been yeah, that could have been cut out completely well and and not affected the script. Right. This movie was written by men, produced by men and directed by a, and directed by a man. So I would have actually have liked to have seen and this may have ended up on the cutting room floor, but I actually would have liked to have seen a scene between Brian Dennehy and Dan Aykroyd. Something establishing the rivalry maybe a little more or maybe, you know, some kind of exposition or backstory. Uh, I think maybe, maybe where Dennehy is watching one of his commercials and says... Something. Oh, yeah, that, you know, that son of a bitch doesn't care about anything or something. Yeah, yeah. or they're at a convention or, you know, something. But mm-hmm. I feel like that... Two, one, I would have liked to see both of them together. Two... Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see more Dan Aykroyd in this movie. Yes, I would. I was... It's been a while since I've seen this movie, and I thought that he was in more of the movie until I... Because it's just... Uh, in, the, in the second act, he's you, they see him on a, in a commercial, and then he's out of it until the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie. Now, he's in the last 10, 15 movies, solid. Right. But... Right. Um, With good hair. Some of the best movie Some hair. of the best movie hair ever. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Now, to me, a delightful surprise in this movie was uh, Rob Lowe. Mm-hmm. I thought he was. I thought he was. He he made good fun of his <laughs> his pretty boy, you know, good looking image. Yeah. yeah, this is prior to Parks and Recreation, prior to anything like that. This probably was one of the first times that Rob Lowe had done something a uh, comedy like this that wasn't. Um, well, he was in Wayne's World. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where they... I forgot about that. They saw that he had his knack of doing comedy. Uh, but he was up for... Uh, they said that he did a lot of his own stunts, and uh, and he was up for it. He was up to be beaten around. <laughs> the dog's getting comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Wherever I go, the dog goes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I thought it was nice that he would... He just... He let go of his, you know, in Wayne's... Well, because in Wayne's world, because actually he played a, a slime ball. Yeah. Well, he's played a slime ball in this one. But there's a lot more physical comedy. There's a lot more physical comedy in this. In uh, in Wayne's world, he was playing... I think he was playing a, car- <clears throat> a caricature of the evil guys that he played in other movies. This right. was different. This was... Rob Lowe is actually Bo Derek's husband, but they passed uh, him off as his son. Yeah. 
Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, if you haven't seen Tommy Boy, (laughs) yeah, so he's part of the scheme to get Callahan Motors. Speaking of, I think a little bit more Bo Derek wouldn't have been terrible either because she's no. barely in it all. I mean, she, you get a couple of good reaction shots and you get a couple of good scenes with her, but there's not really anything meaty well, that she. You don't ever get like a really completely diabolical scene from her or anything. No, uh, and and she gets off scot free at the end, which bothered me as well. Well, I was gonna t- I was gonna mention that. I was gonna ask you what your opinion was about that. Do you think? I mean, I guess she does, but. I, pardon me, I have this story in my head that Dan Aykroyd's character, Zelensky, um, it's not like he's running off and he's going to marry her next. I think I feel like when he invites her to dinner, like it's probably dinner and drinks, he bangs her and then there, yeah, he, so, she's out. You know? No, no. I think Brian Dennehy was a good businessman, but might have been a little naive like Chris Farley when it comes to right. things outside the business. I think Dan Aykroyd as Zelensky knows how things work outside the business and knows how things work inside right. the business because he right. says that his motto is I make you know I make car parts for the American people because that's who I am and that's who I care about right. and then later in the movie goes I make car parts for the American people because I'm a damn good salesman so he knows how the world works it makes me laugh Dan Aykroyd Canadian he is probably one of the best stereotypical Midwestern Chicago guys. Well, this because this movie, well, Dan Aykroyd, a member of uh, Second City, he did his his training in Toronto, and then I believe he went to Chicago. I don't know, but the movie was shot in Toronto, and it takes place, quote unquote, in Chicago. A lot of Dan Aykroyd movies take place in Chicago. Uh, uh, Blues Brothers, Doctor Detroit. Uh, uh, this one, even if it's not in Chicago, it's set in Chicago. So Chicago, I guess that's uh, Chicago is a soft point with him, uh, and maybe that's because where John Belushi did his second city. Well, I think they were more. I mean, this was uh, Spade and Farley, and they brought in Denny He and Rob Lowe and Dan Aykroyd and Bo Derek. You know, the old professionals, and just you know, when we needed exposition scenes, we just we would put them in there and let's let Spade and Farley just do their thing. You know, and then uh, Julie Warner mm-hmm. is kind of the young love interest for mm-hmm. him. And this was sort of the heyday of her about five-year peak film career from Doc Hollywood and... Uh, Mr. Saturday Night. Mr. Saturday Night, Indian Summer, mm-hmm. which is a... Gr- Indian Under, Summer's a good Indian Summer's a great... Yeah, if you haven't seen that, uh, that's... A bunch a, of adults going back to their old mm-hmm. summer camp. So. Uh, a Paul, an early Paul Rudd, uh, what, and uh, Chris Maloney's in it as well. Yep, yep. No, she does a Wait, good... Wait, no, are you thinking What Hot American Summer? That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Indian Summer had Kevin Pollack in it. Yes. Yes, okay, I got the movies mixed up. I was like, wait a minute. I, yes, I'm sorry, yes. Sorry. But Christopher Maloney in What Hot American Summer is worth watching the movie just for mm-hmm. that. So, uh, But no, Indian Summer is, uh, yeah, a bunch of mm-hmm. 30-somethings going back to their old summer camp, and she's in that. And again, that's sort of the peak of her kind of early to mid-90s film career. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at her on IMDb. She's done a lot of like little guest spots on like Grey's Anatomy and you know stuff like that, but no, nothing really substantial or a leading or you know supporting actress role like in these movies. Well, this was not a leading role at all. I mean, this was a, definitely a supporting role in here, mm-hmm. but she did a uh, but she did a good job. And I I could believe her and Farley as as a couple. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think the again, much like you need Spade to balance out Farley in this movie, you you need Dan Aykroyd's kind of presenting this business savvy guy at the end also for it to all kind of work out. But fortunately, you know, it rings the end of the movie rings a little bit like uh, Secret of My Success mm. or. Uh, big business with uh, Bette Miller, Lily Tomlin, mm-hmm. where, where there's some big thing that's going to happen to the company, but at the last minute they they save out. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you could, and I definitely knew, even if I didn't know this movie was shot in Toronto, a lot of the uh, actors and actresses in there I I have seen in SCTV, Kids in the Hall, so I've seen them before in, like the waitress uh, that. Um, that was supposed to be played by Roseanne, actually. I read that Roseanne was supposed to play that, but she uh, she was working on <laughs> she was working on Tom Arnold's show at the time. I can't think of the name of it, but Tom Arnold had a sitcom. Well, now that scene is interesting that you mentioned that too, because this happens to be um, one of the sales managers I uh, work with at, at my uh, day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happens to be one of his favorite movies. He mm-hmm. thinks this is a great sales movie. He loves this movie. And that scene in the diner with the waitress, I love that scene because that is where, he, you know, David Spade's character realizes, wait a minute, we could turn Tommy into a salesperson. Mm-hmm. He does know how to deal with people. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's a nice, that but nice not as, But not as, his, he's been trying to deal with people like his dad right. was dealing with people, but he needs to deal with people how he would deal with people. Yeah. Exactly. And well, and the thing, the reason I brought that up is because that woman who played the waitress, I have seen her in quite a few Kids in the Hall sketches. Oh, okay. So that's where I knew uh, I knew her from. Do you ever notice on Canadian TV the people are good looking, but not good looking in the quite the same American good looking way? They're um, good looking for Canadian television. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I used to be a big fan of all the like Canadian crime dramas uh-huh. they used to have on CBS. The Crime time after crime time. Do you even remember this? I don't remember that. Okay, so late night on CBS, they would show Canadian procedural crime dramas, and I—that's how I discovered Forever Night. That's how, I, yeah. Well, we grew up in Michigan, so we right. would get CBC. Remember watching Canadian shows and stuff like that? Yeah. Absolutely, and a lot of <laughs> Lifetime movies, things like that, those are shot in Toronto. Well, a lot of things are shot Vancouver, in Toronto or, or in Vancouver. Vancouver. Psych yep. was uh, all shot in Vancouver. Yep, yep. They made uh, um, must be good incentives for filming in Canada. I'm sure there is, <laughs> <laughs> or 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 low uh, union rates or something. <laughs> but this is yeah. If you're looking for a good buddy film, this is definitely in that vein. Like we said, of you know, like. Planes, trains, and automobiles, that kind of well, thing. Well, see, I got a plane... When they were driving around in the wrecked car, I got a planes, trains, and automobiles vibe from that. Where it, where it was... The, 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 the top, there's, a, there's a scene where a, they hit a deer. <laughs> now, and this is, this is one where you ha- They hit a deer, and they put the deer in the back of their car. I've never heard of anybody putting a, a dead deer carcass in the back of their car. In the back of their car, but I I know that was need, that needed to be done to to get the, you know get the joke later. But it was like nobody would ever do that. <laughs> Why would you do that? It's like you hit the deer. Okay, I'm sad, but um, they were sad. They were sad. They were crying. What about the Karen Carp the Carpenters? Yes. Oh <laughs> That's man. That's so funny. Yeah. There's so there's a lot of singing in the car. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, the director. The, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of singing montages. 
which is what you do in the car when you're when you're alone or with somebody. And the, the director, they were singing when they were doing the scenes. They were just singing the song without the song in the background. And the director, Peter Siegel, I believe, is the director. He said, oh, "We got to cut all this. This is all this is all garbage." And the editor goes, "Well, let me lay the track on." And then once they laid the track underneath it, it worked. Right. Um, so it's uh, it reminds me of the story of of uh, Halloween. It well, Halloween. They played Halloween and it wasn't scary. Then they added the music, right. and that was scary. So yeah, you can't really you, you can't really judge. A scene until everything comes together. The special effects, the music. Uh, Peter Siegel, what else, anything else? Would, like, I'm knowing, I know he's directed other stuff, but is there anything else? I was trying to remember. I was going to look that up and I didn't look he it up. He said he's worked with Dan Aykroyd three or four times, so he's obviously hmm. he's obviously done something. Well, there you go. There you go, listeners. There's your homework. Yeah, there's your homework. It. Find out uh, Peter Siegel. Peter Siegel movies. Because, well, he was on a mission because this was. Uh, this was the time when, when Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and David Spade and Michael Myers they were all, they were all jump uh, jumping um, Saturday Night Live and making movies. And apparently, it was the mission of every movie reviewer just to, because this movie got trashed when it first came out by right. reviews. Right. It just got utterly trashed, and now it's a, and now it's I would say it would be a comedy a comedy classic. Sure. Yeah. The uh, yeah modern modern classic. modern modern classic and a lot of people it was this it wasn't being judged on its merit it was being judged on just uh, just these frat boys that were you know these frat boys that were just making movies. And this is definitely in the better vein, better of the SNL movie, the yeah. Lorne Michaels produced you know right, SNL movies. Uh, so let me ask you. So here's a question I'll ask you. Uh, both both Belushi and Farley died way too young. Yes, now, Farley Farley died two weeks after I moved to Chicago. Oh really? Yeah, that must have been a big deal. It was, oh, and it he was, died. It was in Chicago. Yes, right? Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. It was yeah. terrible. People were, and then and then Phil Hartman died. You know, so it just yeah. That's right. Phil Hartman and Chris Farley died pretty close together. Yeah, it was it within probably two weeks, twelve days of mm -hmm. me moving to Chicago. Farley had died, so it was. Just disappointing, but I mean, people really were upset, you know, mm -hmm. and, and because I was our, you know, involved at, at IO, which is where Improv Olympic, now called IO, is where Chris Farley really got on stage doing improv mm -hmm. and he was a force to be reckoned with. And Sharna knew she had something there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody along the way, though, was recognized the fact that he was just a, a, a whirling dervish you know mm -hmm. he was the tasmanian devil in uh -huh. some sense but he was just so damn funny mm -hmm. you know um so yeah so they yeah they both died way too young people like adam sandler his movies now today are all garbage and like will ferrell his he's these people started off making good movies and now and their movie qualities have gone downhill what do you think what do you think Farley's career would have been if he if he didn't die? And because I don't know. Because even like as you you made a, a, a comparison to John Candy, John Candy died too young, and not because of drugs. No, he was fat. Yeah, and, you he know. died at forty. Yeah, you know. John Candy. I because th I think once again, uh, Chris Farley would have fallen into this. John Candy made a bunch of bad movies, but it never stuck to him. 
because uh, he was so likable. You know, n- nowadays with like uh, uh, Will Ferrell and Sherlock Holmes and and all the stuff that apparently all the stuff that Sandler's putting out for Netflix is just god awful. So if I had to think, like, what would I, Farley? Those are sticking, you know. But those yeah. bad movies are sticking to them. Hollywood Ninja, what was it? Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Ninja. Ninja, and Almost Heroes. Those were not particularly good movies as well. But I, people enjoyed seeing Chris Farley. Yeah, I. You know, that's an interesting question because that is a flame uh, that maybe it's meant to burn out quickly. I. You know, you can't sustain. I know towards the end he was upset because he didn't want to be the funny guy that falls down all the time. Like, he right. wanted to move past that. Um, Same as Belushi. Belushi didn't want to be the toga guy crushing the beer can on his head. Right. So. Which is why he made Continental Divide. Right. Which, uh, obviously, something like that would have had to have happened. But mm-hmm. I think for that to have been successful, obviously, he would have had to be making different personal choices as mm-hmm. well. People said, though, no matter how hungover he was, no matter how much he had partied that night, he would be at Mass the next Sunday morning. Like, he would always be at Mass. He was mm-hmm. he always considered himself a good, albeit guilty, Catholic boy, you know? Well, there was that time he was... He guest-hosted Saturday Night Live, and they had Chris Rock in the wings because that whole week he was, just, he was bringing shady people up into the office and and uh you know he just didn't look good well it's hard because you know i think he he suffered from wanting to be loved and wanting affection and wanting you know but you're also the more famous you get the more uh sycophants sick of, yes, yes yes you know hangers it was on a, and i hate to keep saying this but it was the same thing with belushi uh belushi felt that he had to be belushi all the time to keep these people around farley felt that he had to be the funny fat guy to keep right. all these keep all these friends and keep all these quote unquote friends around which were not friends you know you know David Spade Adam Sandler and and appara- I, I haven't seen it but apparently Adam Sandler has done a very nice job uh, uh, has done a tr- tribute to Chris Farley oh it was letter. great yeah it was great I saw it it was on uh, when he hosted SNL mm-hmm. uh, about a month or so okay. ago and he just did like a really nice uh, song and they they put some like B-roll of you know Farley, not B-roll, but some footage of Farley with it, and it was it was really really good. Mm-hmm. People were saying you know people that were backstage because there was a lot of other folks at that show that night that Sandler hosted. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel was there, mm-hmm. and it was just you know not a dry eye in the house. Mm-hmm. But that's one of my favorite SNL moments too is. Phil Hartman and Chris Farley. Phil Hartman singing to Chris Farley. And oh, yeah. Chris Farley falls asleep. So, you know, what a beautiful little moment with mm-hmm. those two, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Would he be in, you know, that kind of that group making, you know, because that is sort of that Adam Sandler A lot of people group. say that uh, Kevin James took Chris Farley. Would all those Kevin James roles have gone to Chris Farley? Mm, yeah, I could With see Chris that. Chris Farley as, Ma- as Paul Blart. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, we'll never know. No. But look and see, even Kevin James tried to get buff. And then, you know. I've, I've heard that Kevin James is a, a bit of a dick. I've heard that too. I've <laughs> heard that too, folks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Now, my my closest encounter with Dan Aykroyd ever was uh, in Chicago. 
I'm in the Piper's Alley, which was where Second City is located. There's mm-hmm. also a movie theater in there, and they also did Tony and Tina's wedding. Mm-hmm. There's always big escalators in there, and I was coming out of, I swear, I think I was coming out of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> I think that's the movie I was coming out of. And there was Dan Aykroyd standing in the lobby outside of Second City. And so that was like the closest <laughs> I ever got to Dan Aykroyd. And then we ended up going passing each other on the escalator, but... Uh, he just, you know, there's something about people like that. He just was there wearing like a denim shirt and some slacks, but it was Dan Aykroyd, bigger than life. There he was, you know. So. I don't think, yeah, I, I think he's at the point now where people recognize him, but he's not. I don't think he's going to get mobbed right by, by right. anybody. Well, Chicago's a lot like that anyway. You'll turn to your right. I, I was standing in a corner one time. I looked to my right, and there was Bill Rancic from uh, The Apprentice, and he's married mm. to Juliana Rancic, and it, it was standing right next to mm. me, or Jeremy Piven's in front of me getting coffee at Starbucks, like, it's, <laughs> I hear know. he's a dick, too. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was actually nice when I met him, so, uh, actually, I met a lot of celebrities when I lived in Chicago, but yeah, that was my closest, I don't even think, I think I was too stunned to say anything to Dan Aykroyd, mm. to be like, oh, blah, 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 you know, gibberish come out of my mouth, so. So, what was your favorite scene of of Tommy Boy. Oh boy. Um I <laughs> I am trying to change his clothes in the air oh, in the airplane bathroom. Yeah. I loved because uh first of all I loved him they were singing the Karen Carpenter song and I, yes. I thought that was great. But in particular that scene where he's trying to change clothes in the airplane lavatory killed me because they do all these commercials all the time where girls like go into the airport bathroom, the airplane bathroom, and wash their hair, <laughs> or people supposedly are having sex in an airplane yeah. <laughs> bathroom. And anybody, I mean, you're tall, I'm yeah. tall. It's it, it's impossible to even barely get in there, turn around, and do your business. Right. And here he is trying to change out of a a, a flight attendant suit into his regular suit. Yeah, that. Was, now I will uh, say, there's a also if we're going by any sort of logic he should be in jail right he should be in jail because he had a a, a fake bomb threat so right. um it, it, so yes and why how he is not in jail at the end of that is it, you know i mean that's just one of those things where what do you say he goes this, this is a tiny bit it's road flares yeah Oh, it's oh, road flares. Oh, it's road, road flares. So, yeah. So, um, yes, he definitely should be in jail at the end of it. And um, and then, of course, there's the... Uh, uh, Julie Warner's character finds out that Bo Derek and uh, Rob Lowe are... Husband and wife. Husband and wife. Now, here's... And the, gets her brother the cop to gets her at... Gets her brother the cop. Yeah, because yeah. That's, brought up, that, that's brought up earlier that Chris Farley and her brother... We're friends, and he's like, "What's your brother doing now?" And he's like, "He's a cop." Okay, but the thing is, uh, Chris Farley and David Spade have to f- fly to Chicago to try to stop this sale, and that's why they have to pretend to be uh, flight attendants because there's no seats open. Apparently, they pay off two flight attendants. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently they pay off because that's that's how it works because they're not worried about losing their well, job. Well, much like you said in your podcast about Doctor Detroit. We're still right at the window of time where you could get away with some shenanigans. You, you could oh, yes. fly with a fake name. You could, you could get through the gate that you didn't have to wait outside the gate yes, to meet people. Yes, you could meet you people. Know? All these movies are time. Uh, whenever you see a, a movie involving a plane or an airport before 9-11, it's just totally, it's just totally, totally different. But the thing when I was, is like, so they there was no tickets available 
from uh, Sandusky to Chicago. Chicago. Yet, uh, Julie Warner shows up. So how did she get there? You know what I'm saying? It's just like... <laughs> well, I was thinking it's about, what, probably about a seven-hour drive. Yeah. I was like, you know, oh. so... But yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, how did she get there? I didn't even think about yeah. that. Yeah, she makes it just in time with the important papers yes. that they need. She's It's like the Amazing Race. She's like 30 minutes mm-hmm. behind them. And they had to pose as flight attendants. Right, yeah. How did she get here? Uh, I mean, but the, that, I mean, that's just... Well, that's they, just nitpicking, and that's just... They establish early on, to the very quick little scene with young Tommy Boy that Richard... He knew Richard when he was little Richard. Yeah. Was annoyed by him, so... I think that's nice that, you know, uh, the little opening scene, the little 60-minute, 90-second opening scene, that, 60 seconds. I could definitely picture that kid as a young Chris Farley. Yeah. Usually when, uh, usually uh, kid actors, I you don't see him growing up. I could definitely see that kid growing up to be Chris Farley. No, it's Farley. perfect. And it really establishes without a lot of, a lot of long scenes or anything that that's who this kid is it also know? establishes that everybody's rooting for him too when he's chasing the bus all because usually when a, you know kids are awful kids are terrible and usually like when a kid's chasing a bus they're yelling you know ha ha and they're but they're all cheering him on come on come on come on because he kept him entertained he was like and now. when he came back from college you know he knew everybody he was very very polite to everybody hey tommy boy so yeah as he walks through the plant with his dad after college everybody's like hey nobody's like oh he's back right you know, everybody's, everybody's glad to see him yeah. And it's genuine. A little, little gung-ho in there, too. A little Michael Keaton gung-ho uh, in this movie as well. Oh, yeah. As far yeah. as with the, the guys in the plant. that It all fits into that Midwestern, and maybe it's because we're from Michigan and we pick up on that, but you know, gung-ho is another great, uh, yes, we're going to un- overcome. Underrated the, movie, yeah. Yes, yes. Ron Howard. Ron Howard, Michael yeah. Keaton. Yeah. See, now there's Michael Keaton, somebody very physical, comedy, kind of crazy comedy. Who transitioned very nicely into yes uh, more dramatic roles and more dramatic roles. Yep, yep, yep. He uh, yeah, I mean, but Farley had such a. It's just like he's the big fat guy. Can he do anything else? Nah, he's the big fat guy. And the fact that he would say I'm the big fat guy probably didn't help. It didn't help the fact either that he was backstage at the Second City in the ETC stage, which is their secondary stage, not their main stage. Backstage, mm-hmm. there's a poem uh, when Fatty falls down, and it's about Chris Farley, mm-hmm. and it's kind of this sad poem. But it's but it's backstage. So if you ever get to go to the, if you ever backstage in the dressing room at the ETC at the Second City in Chicago, there's a poem there that's a, it's basically a tribute, or it's about Chris Farley. Um, it's a, it's a, interesting to me how many young improvisers were inspired by Chris Farley because of movies like this. Mm-hmm. And you think, okay, be inspired by it, but don't don't live the life. Don't live you. the life. But see, I think when we go back to Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd, pretty straight guy, you know? He marries, he's been married. He's been for, married, he's a businessman. Yeah. I mean, he's worth like $500 million because of business. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to work a, another day in his life. He does it because he wants to, but yeah, but no, he. I mean, I'm. He partied when he was back. He always said. He always he loved John Belushi so much that he Dan Aykroyd always said if I was with him that night he died I probably would have died with him if he would have asked me to do a, a speedball the cocaine. He said he goes if he would have asked me to do it I would have done it. I wonder him. if it was 
not painful, but I wonder if being around Farley, I wonder if he saw that and it was kind of like either he kept his distance from him or if maybe he felt like he needed to bring him. Well, a it's funny you should say that. He's in this documentary called I Am Chris Farley. Oh, okay. And uh, it's it, I'll, I'll probably be doing that later, uh, but uh, it's, it's a very touching tribute to Chris Farley. And Dan Aykroyd's in there and he's, you know, and he tried to help. He tried to help Farley out, and nobody could. Uh, if somebody's hell bent, uh, Bernie Bernstein said, if somebody's hell bent on getting high and doing what they're going to do, they're going to do it no matter no matter how hard, hard you try. Right. Um, so, what was your favorite scene in the movie? My favorite scene was the Karen Carpenter. It was. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was done very very nicely. Where it's where they cut away. To that shot of them driving, and then they cut back, and it's <laughs> tears and this tears screaming and baby baby, and then they and then it. This movie is very good from going to a, a, a touching scene to a to yes. comedic. I I never felt that it was heavy handed. I never felt that they were hitting uh, hitting us over the head uh, with the schmaltzy with the schmaltzy stuff. I always thought it was just the right amount of uh, of humor and the right amount of heart. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite scenes was at the end when they were sitting on the park bench, and David Spade goes, "Oh, the, the on, they're out, out, outside the building on Wacker, and they're sitting on the bench, and the bench collapses, right? And and David Spade goes, you made a friend out of this.' He goes, "I know it didn't mean a lot to you because you have a lot of friends, but I don't. I thought that was a nice moment for Spade, because mm-hmm. uh, Chris Farley had all the heart." Or the had all the heartfelt scenes up until then. Right. I thought that was a nice scene coming from Spade. No, it's it's definitely if you haven't seen it, you definitely need to see it. It was fun to watch it again because I hadn't seen it in a mm-hmm. while. I you know I hope it's not one that they try to. Gosh, they're remaking so many goofy movies now. Like, I don't think they I, like they remade Overboard, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, now before we go, we always do this. Now, what did you think of Dan Aykroyd's sure. performance? performance in this movie so it's interesting i think to me it's like almost quintessential older dan Aykroyd. like i feel like this isn't necessarily some revelation performance that you 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 totally would expect this performance out of dan i i agree with you 100 percent. it's dan acker dan Aykroyd has always been the 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 staccato businessman yeah midwestern midwestern businessman um he does have good hair i really particularly noticed his the hair in there last night and uh, but yeah, it's I think it's it's what you want, it's what you need. It's the movie. I guess Rob Lowe would be the bad guy in the movie. He's and the, the obstacle. I guess. He's an obstacle. Yes, he's just doing what a businessman would do in that situation. Right. One of my competitors is going under. I'm going to I'm going to buy that company and put some, as he said, put some coin in my. Yeah, pocket. like he got over it pretty fast because for him it was just a a, a deal. It was mm-hmm. the art of the game or whatever. It wasn't some vengeful plot. No, no. He, he, he held no ill will towards Chris Farley for pulling one on over him. You know, because yep, yep. he felt it was, it was part of the, like you said, part of the game. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I, I thought he was, I thought he was a, a very good choice to play this character in this movie. The, yeah. the, the no nonsense businessman. And I agree, having a name recognizable person play that part, not just some character actor, mm-hmm. uh, it, 
it helps ground the movie too, uh, because it gives a lends a little credibility to the movie. So to have a Brian Dennehy, to have yes, a yes, I believe no, I believe and not well, maybe not Bo Derek. She she hasn't been known for me. <laughs> Remember Tarzan, right? And Bolero. Well, it's per it's perfect when she comes out of the water and he's like, "Gee, Dad, she's a ton," you know? Like, yeah, right. Just in case anybody missed it, you missed that. So uh, yes, but I believe all the the older character actors did their job well and I believe you know you can't ask any more from Spade and and uh, and Farley I, I give a lot I I, I want to give a lot of credit to Spade because Chris Farley got all the attention you, you, you when in these movies and stuff like that I mean David Spade had the smart ass remarks and saw it but all the big scenes they went to Chris Farley and I don't think it bothered him I don't think right. it did I think he he knew that's how it had to be. It's like I'm here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my smart ass remarks. I'm gonna make my smart ass quips, and he's gonna, he's gonna fall down, and he's probably, you know, and he's gonna get the, he's gonna get the brunt of the laughs and stuff like that. And I think he knew that's how it worked, and and I give him a lot of credit for that, because I've never heard anything about him being jealous of Chris Farley. No, and I think being the straight man is a tough job sometimes even tougher than oh yeah what was uh i remember one uh, are you gonna say desi arnaz because that's exactly what i was about uh no i was actually (laughs) well desi arnaz is a good example i was going to say tom cruise Mm -hmm. it's not really a straight man but tom cruise in rain man right because you know dustin hoffman played rain man i think it was robert duvall said you know that's the easy job that's the easy job to be the big fat guy who falls down or you have this you know you have this tick where rain man you know definitely the you know definitely time for Wapner. definitely that's an easy role the hard role is being the straight person that has to ground the scene and has to uh and push the scene forward be there enough to add to the scene but not detract from the you know from the the wacky person Right. So, and I thought David Spade did a good job on that. Yeah, like I said earlier, I would I would have loved to like one more scene with Dan Aykroyd, maybe in the middle of the movie somewhere. Yes. I think that would have been good because I felt maybe the way you scene... did. I felt like he was in it more. And yes. Then, you know, maybe a scene with him on the phone, you know, Bo Derek on the phone with him, or, or on the phone with Rob Lowe, or something like right, that, right. setting up this deal. The reason that they have to sell it to uh, Zelensky is Rob Lowe erases all the. Oh, so yeah, they finally they finally start making sales. They start the, making sales. The, the trip turns around. They start making sales. They're they're exceeding the goal they had set for themselves. Mm-hmm. And Rob Lowe sneaks in and changes a bunch of the shipping or the orders so that they ship wrong. They ship late. Yeah. They you know basically destroying all the good work they've done. And the reason they can do this is because Julie Warner doesn't. He he gets on her about her files, but honestly, he yeah. just walks in and grabs her computer. Yeah, and so and it's she... one of those old DOS, you know. Yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> Julie Warner doesn't do something typical, which is the reason he can change it. So, so she sort of gets the blame when. Um... But he doesn't even really blame her. She kind of takes the blame for her yeah. before he even gets a chance to lay into her or anything. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like, but. Uh. But he also, but he apologizes. Yeah. No, I think it's. You know, I'd like to see it's it, it's a character Dan Aykroyd played then that he could easily play now. If somebody yes. was doing a movie like this now, oh no, they yes, could absolutely call Dan Aykroyd to be the president of the company. President, and he could come. I in am president it. of this company. Yeah. I am president of the bank. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Mm. It's not a huge stretch, but it's just like a nice little treat. It's, it's a, a nice little surprise. It's a yeah, comfort food or your mm-hmm, favorite mm-hmm. your 
you know, your teddy bear or whatever. It's just like, oh, okay. Did you notice, by the way, in the opening when young Tommy's running, he's carrying a Brady Bunch lunchbox? I did not notice that. Yes, yeah, yeah it, was, a Brady it was Brady Bunch. Bunch. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, which I thought was kind of neat because the later on, the idea is that these two blend. He's all excited about having a blended family. Right. So. Of course, uh, that would have been, that would have been in the eighties. So I don't <laughs> I don't know how popular the Brady Bunch if the timeline because this was set in nineteen ninety five. And if he's supposed to be, he's, he's been in college for seven years. years. So he let's say he went in at eighteen. And that would have been like eighty. If it's ninety five, that would have been like eighty eight. Yeah, <laughs> and then. Yeah, it would have been like around 78 or something. Maybe like that. 78, 80 when he was running yes. for the bus. So, hey, Brady Bunch is always popular. Oh, the Brady though. Bunch, yes. You can, you can never go wrong with the Brady Bunch. So you would recommend Tommy Boy? 100%. 100%. All right. So, And I would recommend it as well. And uh, I this is it. This is the end. So the dog, the dog fell asleep. The dog fell asleep. Hopefully, it, the people listening to the podcast have not fallen. Let's asleep. not hold. Yes, this has been a little different. I usually go by scene by scene and and comment on the movie and comment on the scenes. But I just thought since I had my friend here, we would just openly talk about the movies and what the movie means to us and all the scenes. Are we going to go on an Oprah and Gail Tommy Boy esque uh, road trip? Uh, I, I I saw that actually before I came in here. So. <laughs> Um, we'll let you know. We'll yeah, let we'll let you know. Is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything I want to plug? Uh, no, just, uh, you know, you check out CSZHouston.com and you might see Scott and I both performing at the same time and and uh, watch us read our mind, read each other's minds in doing improv. Yes, I want to, the best thing about this podcast is I don't, I don't think I'm going to have to do any editing. Uh, because I because when I'm speaking alone, I, I mess up all the time where I have to go back. But this uh, this flowed pretty well. So this was a nice conversation. Okay. And, I, and I don't think I have to do any editing. Uh, you can check me out on my website, scottyblanco.com. If you want to support this podcast, you can find me on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Scott White. And if you are listening on Apple Podcast, uh, please leave. Uh, sorry, maybe I'll have to edit that out. Uh, please leave a, a, a review, and that will help people find this podcast. All that being said, uh, on behalf of my guests, Steph uh, Dwagner Collier, this is Scott White, and we'll see you next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast.